All right, well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Welcome to you all. So glad to have you with us here today. If you're a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you worshiping with us here today. Uh, we want to start off our time with some scripture, and we're going to jump in singing together. And I want to encourage you as we sing, we worship together. As you stand here in just a moment, and the band leads us. Again, the point of what we do here isn't just for you to kind of watch us do it, but for you to engage, right? The scriptures would say that as you come in here, we come, all of us bringing a word, a hymn, a song, a, 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 an encouragement for one another, using our gifts to minister to one another. So I want to I encourage you as we, as we stand and as we sing and as we pray and as we engage with God's word, this is about you. This is about you hearing from the Lord, ministering to one another, and seeing God do such an awesome thing. And how we do that is, is extremely important. I want to read for you Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What does that mean? As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? How did you become a Christian? By faith. You don't become a Christian by good works. You don't become a Christian by earning it. You don't become a Christian by being a good person or better than that guy. You become a Christian by faith, by grace through faith. And in the same way you received Christ, the same way you became a Christian, that's how you now live it out. For many of us, we believe in salvation by grace through faith. But we grow in that salvation by our, by, by our own effort, by our own works. And that's not true. It's just by faith. So as we stand here in just a moment and sing, sing in faith. As you proclaim the words of these songs, proclaim them by faith. This is true of God. And because it's true of God, what he says is true of me is true of me. And I can trust him. And I can walk in him. And I can depend on him. And I can turn to him because he's worthy and good. Do it by faith. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't understand it, even if you may, you may struggle in it, you're walking it out by faith. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. And I want to pray over us here today as we begin our time together. God, I just ask you, that in the same way we came to know you, by grace through faith, we will grow in you by grace through faith. We will worship here today by grace through faith. For those here this morning that may struggle or may doubt or may fear, God, I pray that they will lean into faith. For those here in the room that might have a sin that just seems to be tripping them up constantly, I pray, God, that they would lean into faith. And I pray, God, as we, as we worship here and as we sing and as we pray and as we engage with your word, we would do so by faith believing that your word is true and you can be trusted and you are going to do your great work in us. Thank you, God. We love you. We trust you. We thank you. We praise you. We throw ourselves on you by faith. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's stand together, guys. Let's worship the Lord. Good morning, church. Let's sing. I can see the clouds rolling. I can see the winds, they try to shake me. I will not be moved. 
today for that truth, Lord. In the book of John, chapter 6, Jesus has just finished um, giving sermons on the mountain to his disciples. Verse 66, it said, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One. And so, church, I just want to encourage us that because for those that believe, because you are children of God, these things are true. He has revealed this truth to you. Isn't it amazing? And so, again, I want to encourage you that, that what the world offers seems to be right and true, but it, but it leads to darkness and death and separation and pain. And the path that Christ offers is hard and difficult, yet easy and filled with hope and grace and mercy and salvation. So I want to encourage you to walk by faith, not by sight. I don't, I don't want to encourage you just to read your Bible more or try to pray more. Those things are good and essential. But what I want us to do, what I pray we'll do when we're together and when we do read and when we do pray, that we will simply see Christ and all his glory, see the righteousness of God revealed to our hearts, and that makes us bow down. That makes us say, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to do this for me, in and through me. So, Lord, I pray as we continue to sing, as we pray, as we hear the word, God, that you would open our hearts to receive your truth, that you would heal your people, guide your people, encourage your people, cause us to have joy that never ends in the personhood of Christ Jesus. Let's sing. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you oh I need you every hour I need you my one
when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you, Jesus. Jesus, you're my hope and strength. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. scripture to us and then I want us to, to, to do that song one more time as, 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 our, as your prayer to God. John 15 verses 4 and 5. Listen to what Jesus says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, abide in me, live, dwell, be with me as I, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The greatest roadblock to spiritual growth in Brad Lynch's life is my redemption ridiculous idea that I don't need God as much as I actually do. Now, I would never consciously say that. I I don't wake up in the morning and think, I got this, God, thanks. But how often do I just live that? How often is that just the default of my life and my existence? How often do I proclaim with my lips how much I need God but I proclaim with the steps of my feet how much I really just depend on me. Jesus cannot be more clear than he is. Abide in me, live in me, dwell in me, give yourself to me, fall completely and totally on me for everything. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. You woke up this morning, you ate breakfast, you showered, you shaved, you brushed your teeth, you drove here. That's great. I did all of that. Okay. Nothing of meaning, nothing of significance, nothing of power, nothing that actually is going to mean anything five minutes after you do it. Can you do apart from Christ? So I want us to lift our voices together here singing this song again as our prayer to God professing to him how much you really need him so stand back up if you will God we just give this to you as our prayer 
We profess how much we're in need of you. We confess right now how much we depend on ourselves. We confess how easy it is to say with our lips but not live with our lives. We confess that. We repent of that. We turn from that. At least I know I do. And if anyone else means that, I pray, God, that they would do the same thing. We would just today say, God, we need you. Thank you, Jesus. If you have a Bible, let's find uh, the book of 
Titus together. I'm going to give you a minute to find that. It's a little tiny book in your New Testament. Titus. Titus chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series through the book of Titus today. It's entirely possible you did not know Titus existed or never read it. But you're going to know it well. So let me ask a question. Um, When you think of what a Christian should look like, what comes to your mind? And, and, And when I ask that question, I don't mean like goofy stereotype like Ned Flanders kind of thing. But I mean like legitimately, what does the Bible say a Christian looks like, right? A Christian, you know, it doesn't lie, all right? A Christian isn't uh, quick-tempered and angry. A Christian, you know, is kind and loving and patient. A, a Christian doesn't uh, constantly just keep walking in sin, right? The Bible would clearly say these are what Christians look like. However, if you got in your DeLorean with the flux capacitor and you went back in time to the first century to an island in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete, what you would find is a group of people who do not look anything like that. In fact, if you were to read the book of Titus, you'd get to verse 12 of chapter 1, and it's going to say that Cretans are all liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. How would you like that? I mean, like, so we live in Fayetteville. Can we agree? We don't always have the greatest of reputations. Can we, we're going to agree on that, right? We don't have the greatest of reputations. I think some of that is fair. Some of it is unfair. But here we are. Can you imagine Fayetteville like Crete? God would come to Fayetteville and say, hey, guys, good news and bad news. Good news is you're in the Bible. Bad news is because you're a train wreck, right? So you have Crete. And they are exactly what they are claimed to be. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And so here's what happens. So Paul comes, he starts this church, um, leads people to Jesus, disciples them, starts a church. He leaves, and some new people come in town called Judaizers or legalists. These people come in, and they see what's going on in Crete, and they say, look, you guys are crazy. right? You, you don't have good work ethic. You're immoral. You don't know how to be good husbands and wives. You are not at all what would be glorifying to God. So here's your problem. You don't have enough rules. You don't have enough discipline. What we need to do is make you guys follow the Old Testament system. Right? Got to get circumcised. Can't eat bacon. Got to honor the Sabbath. Right? You're going to do that. And if you do that... Then your life is going to be changed. Then your life is going to be different. The problem is you don't follow enough rules. Well, the problem was for these Judaizers, these legalists coming in saying, you got to obey these rules, obey these rules. They didn't obey the rules. Chapter 1, verse 16 of Titus is going to say that these false teachers professed to know God with their mouth, but they didn't actually live it. They denied him by their lives. So here's what you have in this island of Crete. All right? You have a society that is crazy. You have a culture there on Crete that is immoral and ungodly. And, and the, the more ungodly you are, the more popular you are. 
The more wicked you are, the more important you are. And people are living in the midst of just this insanity. And then you had this group of people over here that said, here's how you need, don't be like them. You need to obey the rules better. You need to work harder. You need more discipline. You need to do this act and do that act and obey this rule and obey that rule. That's going to make you better. And you had this group of Christians in the middle getting pulled to both sides thinking, what do I do? These people over here are saying, no, God is gracious and he's merciful. And so that means if you sin, he's going to forgive you. Nobody's perfect. Do what makes you happy. Do what fulfills you. And these people over here going, no, you have to look like us and act like us and obey rules like us. And then you're going to be okay. Any of that sound familiar? The Bible's nothing if it's not relevant. And so what we want to do is place ourselves where this church in Crete is. One group over here saying, no, 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 this is the answer. Just, just, just do what you want to do and God's going to forgive you and it's going to be okay. And you're not as bad as that guy. He can't even find his pants. And this group over here going, no, 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 you have to go to this kind of church and read this version of the Bible and not do these things and make sure you read these books and never read those books and listen to this podcast and fit into this theological system and do these things, then you're going to be godly. And we had us in the middle going, help, what do I do? And this is the book of Titus. It asks a very, it not only asks, but it answers an extremely profound and important question. So how do you live this thing? What, what should a Christian life look like? And then more importantly, how do you do that? How do you change? How do you grow? How do you live godly? How do you stop doing things you know you should stop doing and start doing things you know you should start doing? How do you do that? This is the book of Titus. And we're praying by God's grace that it really does a profound work in our hearts. Make no mistake, God legitimately cares about how you live your life. He legitimately cares. He cares about how you live your life. He cares about what you do. He cares about you not sinning. He cares about you walking in righteousness. He cares about how you live. In, in fact, in this book of Titus, it's just three chapters long. It's one of the Apostle Paul who wrote Titus. Uh, it's one of his smaller books. But in just these three chapters, six times he brings up the idea of good works. Six times in just three chapters. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says the false teachers are rebuked for lacking good works. Chapter 2, verse 7, Titus is told to model good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus purifies us so that we could desire good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, we must be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, we should be devoted to good works. Chapter 3, verse 14, again, we should also be, again, devoted to good works. Over and over and over and over and over, God cares about how you live. And God actually wants you to do good works. That's true. The Judaizers were right about that point. God cares about how you live. You're just doing what you want, when you want, how you want, and trusting that God's going to forgive you is not actually biblical Christianity. 
and just hoping you start to get better, hoping you start to live more righteous, doesn't accomplish anything. Hope ain't a plan. That doesn't actually move you to anything. So these guys are wrong that how you live doesn't matter. And these guys are wrong that how you're going to change your life is just work harder and redouble your efforts and be good and act like us. But God does care about how you live. He does care about what you do. He does care about your life. So how do we change? How do we grow? How do we mature? How do we develop good works? How do we bear spiritual fruit? What does this look like? And here's going to be our big idea for the whole series. Jesus makes you different. Jesus makes you different. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes you and makes you different. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes you new. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes out the old and puts in all new. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that fills you with the spirit of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see through the book of Titus is... As you fall deeper into the grace and mercy of God, you fall deeper in love with God, and you pursue him much more passionately in obedience. If you really taste and see the grace and mercy of God, it will drive you to obey him more, not less. Grace does not mean you do whatever you want. When you actually see and experience and taste the grace, the true, genuine grace of God, You don't want to be the same. You don't want to keep sinning. You don't want to offend that God. And when you do, he grieves and breaks your heart. And you desperately desire to repent and turn from that and run after Jesus. Jesus is what makes you different. Jesus is who actually changes you. Not you, not a rule, not a teacher, not a church. Jesus. So as we go through the book of Titus, again, it's three chapters, and, and it breaks down pretty evenly. So chapter 1, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his son in the ministry, Titus, as Titus is there on Crete trying to get this thing together. And so Paul writes to Titus, chapter 1, it's specifically instructions to Titus. And he tells him a couple of things. One, set up godly pastor leaders and kick out these false teachers. Right, so that's chapter 1. He's telling Titus, look, here's what you got to do. Put in guys who know me and love me and follow me and kick the guys out who don't. All right, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, he broadens it out to everyone in the congregation. In Titus chapter 2, he says, all right, look, here's what a godly man looks like. Here's what a godly woman looks like. Here's what a godly husband looks like. Here's what a godly wife looks like. Here's what a godly mom and dad look like. Here's what it looks like to glorify God at your work. Here's what it's like to glorify God in life. Right? So chapter 2 is going to be, all right, so for all of us, here's what godliness looks like. And in chapter 3, it's going to be, all right, how do we live like a light in this world? So again, the people there who are Christians, they live on an island in Crete that is crazy towns. Right? They were Las Vegas before Las Vegas was cool. Right? What you do on Crete stays on Crete. And in the midst of all of that, you got this little group of Christians trying to figure out how to be lights for Jesus. And Titus chapter 3 is going to say, so, so here's how you do that. Here's how you live that. Here's how you model that. Right? So Titus is going to be 
profoundly relevant for us as we seek to live out the Christian faith, grow in the Christian faith, bear out spiritual fruit, walk in good works, be a light to this absolutely corrupt and fallen and godless society. It is profoundly relevant for us. So I'm super excited it's going to be good. And it all begins with an introduction. Titus 1, 1 through 4, that's what we're going to hit today. All right, Titus 1, 1 through 4, here's kind of the foundation introduction that sets the whole thing off for us. All right, let's read that together. If you're new here, kind of here's what we do. We primarily go through books of the Bible. It's just what we do. Um, I do that for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's the best way to teach you the Bible. Two, it protects you from me. Um, It's just not me up here standing and telling you what I want to say. It's just, look, here's what the Bible says. Um, and it forces us to talk about things that I normally wouldn't just want to talk about. Right? So uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a good check and balance. I think it's the best way for God to teach us his word. And so that's what we're going to do. I'll read the scriptures, one through four, and then we'll work our way back through it and see what God says to us. All right. So Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, that's who wrote it, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, For the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, that's who he's writing it to, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father. In Christ Jesus, our Savior. All right, so if you were to fire off an email this afternoon at work, to work, or whatever, typically how you do, especially if you're writing it to someone you don't personally know, the first thing you do is usually put uh, um, who you're writing it to, correct? Right, dear Bob. And then you write, and then at the bottom you put your name, correct? Right, so the email signature on the bottom, right? That's typically where we do it. Now, First century, Mid-Eastern culture, they flipped that. They started first by saying, here's who's writing this, right? Here's who's writing it, so that you see, I have authority, I have reason to write this, there's reason for you to keep reading, there's reason for you to believe what I'm writing. It, it, it adds credibility to what's being said. And so Paul starts every one of his letters in the New Testament by explaining Who's writing this? Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Whatever it is. And so he begins the same way here. And and what I want us to see in these four quick introductory verses, or what I believe is a real foundation for what we're going to get in the book of Titus. How do we grow in the Lord? How do we bear out good spiritual fruit? How do we mature? How do we, how do we develop the good works that God would definitely desire us to do? What does this look like? How do we live out the gospel? And we're going to give you three things, all right? Um, I'll tell you this also. If you have our app, you can download the Southview Baptist Church app. Go to the sermon notes section there. All of our sermon notes are listed there. Uh, so I know I see a lot of you grab your phones and take pictures of the screen. You can do that. But we also have it all on the app, if you want to pull that up, that has all of the notes for all of our sermons now and in the past as also. But I want to show you three things that I think are foundational for the rest of the book of Titus and for our spiritual growth. Right? One is this. You belong to God. Look how Paul describes himself. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. So, circle the word servant. Some of your translations may say bond servant. Some of your translations may even use the word slave. Same thing. That's the idea. This is someone who is owned by another person. You don't work for them. You're literally owned by them. This is exactly how Paul sees himself. He doesn't work for God. He's owned by God. He's been purchased by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says he is a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the word apostle means someone who's sent or an ambassador. But again, we think about ambassador in sort of our terms today, like an ambassador, someone who you know, lives in an embassy in some other country and kind of um, uh, represents our country in that country. And, and there's some, some correlation to that. But, but the word ambassador here in a first century context had a little bit of a different idea. So they didn't have embassies in each country, and they weren't real big on diplomacy. You know how they handled conflict in the first century? They killed you. So an ambassador in the first century, especially Rome, if you, if you studied Western Civ, you know, you're about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. What was the peace of Rome? We're going to kill you. And we call it peace. So you had this ambassador that would go into a conquered land and say, I represent the king who now you serve, and these are his terms that you will obey. And this is the way Paul's describing himself. I belong to God, and I'm standing here before you today telling you, as people who also now belong to God, here are the terms of the agreement. And you don't get to push back. You don't get to negotiate. Here's what your king says. Step one, before we get into anything else, is this. Do you really understand the fact that you belong to God? that he gets ultimate and final say in everything in your life. And I know we live in a society where workers, and, and, and rightly so, it's good, have, have a lot of rights and privileges. Right? You can negotiate, you can union, you can do these things. Wonderful. You can go to HR, you can do a whistleblower complaint. If you feel like, like, like you're not being appreciated, if you feel like you're giving a job that, that, that is beneath you, you can quit and go get another job. Slaves don't do that. Slaves don't get a vote. Slaves don't get to quit. Slaves don't get to strike. Slaves just obey. And Paul very quickly is setting the terms here. I'm a slave, and all I'm doing is coming to other slaves, explaining to you, here's what it means to serve your king. Here's what this looks like. For many of us, Again, a roadblock to our spiritual growth is the fact that you're upset with how God is seeking to bring spiritual growth into your life, and you think you have a vote. You don't. You don't. He's not a life coach, he's not a counselor. This ain't a democracy, and he is not asking for your vote. He is your God, he is your king, he is your master, and you belong to him, so you follow him. But I want to encourage you, that that's a good thing. He's not seeking to harm you, he's seeking to bless you, he loves you. He's the only one who can be trusted. You can't be trusted with you. You've got decades worth of experience of trusting yourself, how'd that work out? 
You can trust him. When I met my, my, my bride, we, uh, this year, November, we'll celebrate 20 years. And when I met her, we, um, uh, we went to church. And uh, I noticed that she had a, and I've shared this with you before, I think, she had a coffee filter in her Bible. And I'm like, I know my girl likes some coffee, but seriously, like, <laughs> like you never know when, like, you just never know when you need some coffee, right? So I just keep one with me. She had a coffee filter with her, and I was like, so what's up with that? And she said, well, I keep it with me as a reminder that every single thing that touches my life had to first be filtered through the hands of God. Nothing touches you. Nothing touches you that wasn't filtered through the hands of God. It comes through him. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. In order for you and I to bear out spiritual fruit, in order for you and I to walk out good works, in order for you and I to grow in spiritual maturity, we must understand that we must submit ourselves to a good God and King that can be trusted. And we just do what He tells us to do. We just live how He tells us to live. I don't get a vote. I don't get to look at the Bible and go, well, that's a really old book, and we're, we're much more advanced now. We have different perspectives, and, 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 and I went to college, so I know things. No. No, we just belong to him. We just serve him. We just fall down and submit to him. This is foundational. If this isn't settled in our hearts, nothing else matters, really. At the end of the day, nothing else matters matters have you submitted yourself to god as just his servant and no matter what he tells you to do you do it it's not fair it's not right it's not i shouldn't have to forgive that person i shouldn't have to live under this i should be able to do this other thing you belong to him you belong to him so this is step one. Paul is seeking to set the stage. I'm a servant of God. You are a servant of God. And what I'm about to unpack for you are the understandings of what it means to live as a servant of God. If that is not settled in our hearts, nothing else matters. You can read, and it isn't going to get anything for it. You're not going to get anything out of it. This has to be settled in our hearts first. We are just servants. So then what? So again, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That next part of verse 1, that back half. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So this is the second point. Great growth, in the gospel, growth in the gospel leads to godly living. Growth in the gospel leads to godly living. Let's, let's, let's unpack that just for a moment. Look again at that back half of verse 1. So this is Paul. He's explaining why he's coming and what he's doing and why he's doing it. All right? He's coming for the sake. This is the reason. This is the purpose of what I'm doing. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Circle faith and knowledge. He's coming for the faith of God's people to increase faith, to push us to faith, to draw us into faith, and that we would grow in the knowledge of the truth what is that? Colossians 1.5 is going to say the truth here is the gospel. And that word knowledge, it, it, it doesn't mean just things you know, like I know the capital of North Carolina is Raleigh, and I know 2 plus 2 is 4. It's I 
experientially know something. I know it, not just intellectually, but I know it in my heart. I know it with my hands. I have experienced this. It's the same word in the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament where it's going to say, and Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. It's a whole different kind of no. Right? That no isn't just he, he knew her name. Right? It's you experientially know something. And that experiential knowledge changes you. And what are we to, to know deep inside? The truth. This is the gospel. The whole point of the Apostle Paul is to push us to faith, radical trust in God. What does faith mean? Faith means to throw yourself completely onto something. Right, to give yourself entirely to a thing, to thrust yourself onto it, believing that that and only that can hold you. Your faith, your trust, your radical dependence on God, and your experiential knowing deep inside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who God is, what he said is true of you, and how he has changed you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say here, That he came for the purpose of you being good. He came for the purpose of you living a certain life. He came for the purpose of proclaiming radical trust and faith in God. And a deepening, deepening, deepening knowledge of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, what happens? Faith of God's elect. Knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, which leads to godliness. Here's what he's saying. How are you going to grow in godliness? Faith in God, trust in God, coupled with what kind of faith? In the deep, profound truths of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, this leads you to godliness. How do you be more godly? Dive deep into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ died for you in order that he can live in you so that he might now live out through you. So that Jesus and Jesus alone can change you and make you new. The way you grow in godliness is by diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There are, in the New Testament, over a thousand commands. That's not even the Old Testament. That's just New Testament. Matthew to Revelation. Over a thousand do this and don't do that. How do you obey that? How do you walk in that? By trusting by faith in who Jesus says you are. The Bible says that you are new. And that the Spirit of God has gone and dwelled inside of you so that he can empower you to now live new. Does God care about you living godly? Yes. Does God desire to walk in good works? Yes. But how do we do that? By trusting by faith in the amazing, glorious grace of God and that he came to you and pursued you and saved you and sent his son to die for you, to take away your sin and then rose again and ascended into heaven and filled you with his spirit and made you new. What you go back, how you move forward in godliness is always going back to the gospel and what God has done in you through his son. 
The answer is never you working harder in your own efforts. It's you diving deeper in the gospel and from that seeking strength to walk out who he says is true of you. I've used numerous illustrations for this over the years to help us understand this. I've talked about the fact that if I want an apple tree in my backyard, right? I don't just go home today, swing by Walmart, grab, grab a bag of apples, go home and start duct taping apples to an oak tree in my backyard, right? My neighbor comes over and I'm like, what are you doing? Making an apple tree. You, you know that's an oak tree, right? I know, but when I put apples on it, it's an apple tree. Is it an apple tree? No. What's going to happen with those apples? They're going to rot, they're going to decay, and they're going to fall off. Just simply duct taping apples onto a random tree doesn't make it an apple tree. And simply trying to duct tape good works onto your life doesn't actually make you godly. You're made godly through faith in Christ who imparts in you godliness. He has placed godliness like a seed, an apple seed inside of you, planted in you through faith in Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He has planted godliness in you. And as you nurture that and grow in that and understanding John 15, like we read earlier, nothing apart from abiding in Christ can accomplish anything, then what happens? You begin to bear out the fruit of godliness, of good works. It's been planted in you. If you've trusted by faith in Christ, the Apostle Peter says, you have everything you will ever need for all of life and godliness. Everything. You lack nothing. Do you believe that? And do you seek to fall on your face before God and say, I know that you have placed everything inside of me through faith in Christ Empower me, Jesus, to pull this out and live this out. Another illustration that I've used often with you comes from the book of Philippians chapter 2. It says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That word work out means to, it's a mining term. It means to mine out, like you'd mine out gold from the ground. So think about that. Right? Think about uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. Right? Remember that? Old Jed, what was he doing? He was out hunting for some food. And up from the ground came a... Bubbling crude, right? Texas gold. Black gold, Texas tea. What happened? Well, in the story, that oil had been under his family's land for gener- as long as they've been around, right? Forever for them. But it wasn't until it was tapped into and pulled out that it became valuable and actually changed their lives. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you've trusted by faith in Christ, you have all the riches of God placed inside of you. My question for you is this. Are you tapping into it and actually allowing it to change your life? You have it. Are you pulling it out? Are you mining it out for the glory of God? What leads to godliness? Faith and knowledge of the truth. Faith and knowledge that God has placed everything inside of me that I need. Faith and knowledge of who God says he is is true. And what he says of me is true. And so by God's grace, I'm asking you, Lord, by faith, empower me. I want to take a step of faith and live this out. The more you see how glorious and amazing God is, the more you will pursue him. The reason that 
At the end of the day, people ask questions. Well, why do I keep doing this sin? Can I be honest with you? Because you want to. The reason you do everything in your life is because you want to do it. That's it. That's the only answer. It's not complicated. What we want to do is is allow God. Again, why he's saying here in verse 1, he's pushing in that we would see and grow in the knowledge of the truth because as we see truth, as we see God for who he truly is, we're going to be drawn more to him. Imagine this. Imagine if, so a husband and a wife, right? Married couple, husband and a wife. We'll say Marie and I. What's the difference between me saying, I'm married to Marie, so I have to kiss my wife. Versus, I'm married to Marie, and I have to kiss my wife. I've technically said the same words, but the emphasis is very different, correct? One is about an external act that I just feel obligated and I have to do, and because of this, because of the other is I have an internal drive that I dare you to stop me. Right? What? There are a few things that I just want to do, right? I want to eat a steak. Right? I want to watch a football game. I want to kiss my wife. Right? I just you just can't stop that. It's just internal, it's just gonna happen. For many of us, we're struggling in our Christian life because we're fitting our Christian life into that first category. I have to obey God. I have to bear good works. I have to do this, and I have to not do that. It's because we're focusing on this action that we feel obligated to do, and we're just trying to work up some way of doing it. What Titus is going to show you is, no, no, that's that's wrong. You're You're pursuing the right thing, but you're pursuing it in the wrong way, and that's going to end up falling apart. The answer is instead, again, what the Apostle Paul, his whole point, was for the sake of your faith, that your faith in God would grow radically, and that your understanding of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ would grow so exponentially that when you seek God for how awesome He is, You now say, that is my God, and I have to follow him. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else to do. This is what Paul's trying to get at. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't, yes, God is calling you to bear out good works, but it doesn't happen because you see the good work, and I know I should do it, and I better do it, and God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt if I don't. It's, no, God is so beautiful and so amazing, and he has done such amazing things in me. I can't help but follow him for the rest of my life. And the times in my life where I'm not following him, it grieves me, it breaks my heart, and I want to run away from that as fast as I can. You see the difference? That, it's night and day. You're technically chasing after the same thing, But you're doing it for very, very different reasons. One is going to actually end in spiritual fruit, and the other is going to end in you just being frustrated and giving up. So Siri didn't understand. So I'll tell her again. Some of you 
are trying to do it, but you're doing it in your own strength. And God is saying, no, 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 no. See how awesome I am? Just pursue me. So how do we do that? Real quick, let's do this. Verse 2. How does this happen? It happens by us constantly being fed by the gospel word. Verse 2. Where does this come from? In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Let's just stop there just for a second. Unpack that verse for a moment. God, who never lies. In fact, in the original Greek, it literally just means the unlying God. The God who cannot lie. Can God do anything? He can't lie. Why can't he lie? Because he literally is truth, John 14, Jesus said. He is literal truth. Everything that comes from him is true. He cannot lie to you. And he says, the God who cannot lie, he promised this before the ages began. God who cannot lie promised that he would work your life out in this way before time even began ticking. When Adam and Eve sinned, God wasn't standing up in heaven going, oh no. Jesus, Holy Spirit, get around, huddle up, what do we do? Let's figure out a plan. Jesus is like, well, hang on, Dad, I think I can go do it. It's not the way that worked. This was always the plan of God. God's plan was to save you through the death, burial, resurrection of a son, Jesus Christ. And as you fall more and more and more and more and more in knowledge and love of that glorious gospel, you will desperately desire to follow him more and more and more. This has always been the plan of God. He's not lying. You can trust him here. This is how he desires to do it. He's always desired to do it this way. And then verse 3, well then how did he How did he bring that to us? Verse 3. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. When the time was right, God gave us his word. And he called Paul to come and preach that word. So, Real quick, let's just chat about preaching just for a second. Um, so, people don't like preaching. Um, in, in fact, if someone is just verbally beating you up on something, what do you say to them? Stop being so preachy. Stop preaching at me. In, in fact, even a lot of churches are getting away from that. People aren't called preachers. What I'm doing right now isn't called preaching. It's teaching. It's communicating. It's talking. It's dialoguing. <laughs> presenting. And that's great. There's obviously teaching involved. And, and later on, we'll, we'll, we'll see that, that one of the qualifications for a pastor is that they're able to teach. That's, that's obviously important. Um, but when I say preaching, preaching, the difference is this. You could teach your own ideas. You can present your own content. When the Bible uses the word preach, the Greek is caruso. The idea is you are proclaiming content 
that is not yours, so you better make sure you do it right. You are standing and you are saying, thus saith the Lord. And what Paul is saying here is he came to proclaim the perfect word of God that was promised well before time ever began that's going to set you and I free and actually empower us to live out in godliness. This is the call of God. Preaching. So if preaching, proclaiming, and what is preaching? Preaching isn't about volume. Preaching isn't about style. It's funny, whenever I wear a suit, I always have people come up to me and go, ooh, you look like a preacher today. (laughs) Thank you. Um, When we say preaching, it's not that. Preaching is expounding, exposing, explaining, proclaiming what is here in the Word. How are you going to increase in faith and grow in the knowledge of the truth by sitting under the preaching of the Word? We do that in a few ways. Number one, this. I encourage you, be a part of our worship gathering together as the word is preached over you. Being a part of small groups where the word is proclaimed over you. You proclaim the word to one another. As you sit and talk to one another and encourage one another and counsel one another, don't give your own ideas and own opinions and own thoughts. It's horrible. I'll tell you what I would do. No one cares. No one cares. We shouldn't. Stop getting online and Googling answers. Proclaim to one another the word. Well, here's what the Bible says. Well, I know what do you think? I just told you. <laughs> and also, you need to proclaim God's word over yourself. You preach to yourself daily. If it makes you feel better, put on a suit and tie. That's great. You need to proclaim God's word over you. You need to spend time in God's word so that he can, can proclaim his promises over you. Listen to what the word says. How are you going to grow in godliness? By increasing in faith and knowledge of the truth. When you don't submit yourself and align yourself and put yourself and do everything you can to allow God's word to seep into your heart, instead of depending on faith and knowledge, what you depend on is feelings and your own ideas. And that's going to go poorly for you. What increases godliness, what increases good works is faith and knowledge of the truth. And how you grow in faith and knowledge of the truth is the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's almost like the Bible says to do it. Think about this. Brothers and sisters, God desires to do a phenomenal work. He desires to see the gospel come to full completion in your life. He desires to see you made new in him and walk in that and in that truth of the gospel to be plucked out of you and made purposeful and made useful and manifest out in your life. And the way that happens is through God's word being heard, received, believed, and walked out. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And, and, and as we're doing that, 
Let's just start now. I just want to go over some scriptures with you. I'm going to put them up on the screen. Um, and, and again, they're going to be in the app on your notes um, if uh, you'd like to pull that up. But just start right now seeing what God says is true of you if you've trusted by faith in Him. Look at these. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ. We can never be separated from God's love in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. We become God's children in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. We have been seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. We've been given the incomparable riches of God's grace in Christ. We were once far away. We've now been brought near in Christ. We may approach God with freedom and confidence in Christ. We are light in Christ. Our joy overflows in Christ. All our needs are met according to his glorious riches in Christ. We are holy and faithful in Christ. All things hold together in Christ. We have our hope of glory in Christ. We become fully mature in Christ. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. We are rooted and built up in Christ. We have been given the fullness of God in Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ. We will rise from the dead in Christ. We have given the thanks in all circumstances in Christ. We have the promise of life in Christ. And that's just the first 25 I could write down. Listen to God's word proclaiming truth over you about the gospel, who God is, and who he now says you are in him. Listen, I know that this world is tugging and pulling, and you're trying to figure out how do I walk this out. The book of Titus is going to say, here's how you do it. You Submit yourself to God as your master. You dive deep into his glorious and amazing gospel. You grow in faith and knowledge of his gospel. You become more and more enamored with how glorious and amazing and beautiful God is that he would save you and do this in you. And the way you do that is by diving deep into his word Submitting yourself to the scripture. Letting God's word be proclaimed over you. Proclaiming it over yourself. And allowing that hearing to build up faith. So that it pushes you even farther into love and glory and worship of God. God desires to bear out his fruit in you. But he's very clearly set out how he's going to do that. Now... Sort of the ball's in your court. Do you let him do it? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for me. Our band is going to lead us here in a moment. We're going to stand and sing. This altar is open. You're welcome to come forward and pray. I, I'll be up front. My wife will be up front if you'd like for us or anyone else to pray for you, we'd be more than happy to do that. As we begin our journey in the book of Titus, I just want to set us here. Stop trying to live the Christian life 
with God being a big part of your life. It's not the way it works. It's not a pie chart and God gets a big chunk of it. It's actually not biblical. I know we, we say that and, and, and it comes from a right heart. I know what we're trying to say. But it's not that God is first in your life or a big part of your life. The Bible would say that if you trusted by faith in Christ, Jesus literally is your life. Instead of a pie chart, think of it like a, a, spoke, a, a, a wheel, right? You have the, the center and, and the spokes coming out. Like Jesus is the center. Jesus is your life. And everything else just flows out of that. So God, I just pray for us today. I pray for those here today that need to trust by faith in you, Jesus. They've never done that. I pray, God, today they would see today that, Jesus, you came and you died and you rose again, that they could be made new and could be set free and could live in godliness because you do that in them. I pray today that they would turn to you, Jesus. And I pray for followers of Christ that they would see true godliness comes not from trying or working or manipulating, but by submitting to you allowing faith to grow, knowledge of truth to grow, become more in love and enamored with you, be drawn to your glory. God, do this in us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to stand and sing, or you can, you can sit and reflect. You can come and you can pray. God moves you to do, church, I pray that you would, in obedience, that you would celebrate the work of Christ in our hearts as he is leading you to do so. Let's sing.
sea.